Hey, everybody, welcome back to Crafted on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Our guest today is the multi-nominated James Beard chef, Yiya Fang, who, in addition to being a phenomenal advocate for and ambassador of Hmong culture and cuisine, somehow carved out time to compete as a challenger on the Netflix show Iron Chef Quest for an Iron Legend. Yia also hosts the show Feral on the Outdoors channel. He also hosts the Food Network show Stoked. And if that wasn't enough, in addition to running the Union Hmong Kitchen in Minnesota, Yia also is an excellent podcast host, and the podcast Monglish is a show that I've really come to love, and I certainly would encourage you to check out. Monglish focuses on the Hmong people, their culture, representation, and Asian excellence overall. Now, some of you might be listening to this and thinking, you know, I've made it this far in life knowing next to nothing about Hmong culture and cuisine. So come on, what am I really missing here? And that would then be the whole point of today's conversation to answer that question for you with, of course, the bonus of introducing you to a remarkable chef and human being. I love Yia's passion and his mission We certainly need more people like Yia in this world, and so it is a real pleasure to get to share this conversation with you, and it was a true honor to connect with Yia. This episode of Crafted is presented by our Blister Craft Collective, which is a collection of some of our favorite craft companies and some of the very best companies across a range of craft categories that support the independent work that we do here at Blister. You can learn more about the Blister Craft Collective companies on our website, and we'll include a link to the Craft Collective in the show notes of this episode. Check them out, because I am confident that some of these companies are going to become some of your new favorite companies too. And now, let's talk about Hmong food and culture, and also, let's talk about curiosity and football with the one and only Yia Vang. Here we go. Well, Yia, how are you today and where are you today? So I'm doing well. Uh, just got done with one of my coaching slash counseling slash therapy sessions. Hmm. <laughs> so I'm re- so it's a, you guys got me in a great time. Uh, and. And I am in my truck uh, where I took a nap a few hours ago. <laughs> so you are rested. You are emotionally and spiritually aligned. It's like a, yeah, yeah like a yeah. spiritual chiropractic adjustment. You are, this is as good as it's going to get with you right now. Rested and, and aligned. Absolutely. <laughs> and I'm in this nice little neighborhood with the shade over the truck, you know? And so, yeah, I'm feeling good. That's excellent. I was telling you before we hit the record button. Just having a fairly decent sense of your schedule kind of makes me tired just thinking about uh, even attempting to manage it. So 
what are you thinking about the most, say, this week? What are the things that are, you know, taking up most of your plate at this particular point in time? Yeah. So I think three things. One, uh, you know, I would call them our managers, our two chefs and some of our other chefs who are in charge. Like, uh, I would just say manage their care. Like, how do I care for them? You know, the question I always ask myself is, how can I support you? How can I help you? What do you need from me? And it sometimes might be just like, hey, can you make a call over here about this? Or, hey, we just need a, you know, a few like checkoffs here and here, you know? So that is my manager care, you know, care for our managers, our chefs, our sous chefs. Uh, the two things too is uh, literally on Thursday, we open uh, at the Minnesota State Fair. So the Minnesota State Fair opens. Uh, when I see the State Fair, people who don't understand the State Fair world or the Minnesota State Fair, they're like, oh, that's cute. Like, you know, where you guys like, you know, throw the little balls, you know, tennis balls and you get goldfish and, you know, it's no saying. And corn dogs and cheese curds. I'm like, no, no, no. Like the Minnesota State Fair for 12 days has over a million people come through. So, so this is like the thing, you know, to be in. And so we were there last year it was our first time. So we're opening again this year. Um, and we have a little stall in there. So, you know, we're getting ready for that. And then uh, the third thing I would say right now is uh, we just recently opened uh, a stall at the U.S. Bank Stadium where the Vikings play. So uh, preseason just started. And so getting the rhythm of that and then finding then then it's playing chess with all our whole team, all our employees and managers and everything. And how do we move all these pieces? And so, yeah, I have really, really great leaders, chefs and managers who are um, doing a great job of moving these pieces and I'm checking in with them to see if they feel fully supported in the way that they're, you know, managing all these people. That sounds like a big deal. You call it a stall. You opened a stall mm -hmm. and yeah. this is an extension. We're just calling this an extension of union. Yeah. So, so union monk kitchen, you know, started like, um, seven years ago, yeah. I think. And it, it literally started as uh, a little pop-up. Um, and then it, you know, with a 10 by 10 tent, you know, and a little grill and we're grilling chicken skewers with sticky rice and, and quetzal, which, you know, is the word Hmong word for hot sauce or pepper sauce. And, you know, that's where we started. And then we were able to, you know, go from that to being working off of a food trailer, go from that to being in a food hall. And then now we have a kind of a standalone spot for it, which is that kitchen that we have that's a standalone spot for it is also our commissary kitchen and so one of the things about union bunk kitchen is the ability to uh do the food we do make great food uh tell a great story but then also be mobile too so it's kind of like um i'm a huge football fan so i always love watching quarterbacks who are the run and gun type guy and guys mm -hmm. you know where mm. where like <laughs> yes there's a there's a yeah, there, there's a system and they work really well within that system. But also, if you need them to move their feet and run and gun a little bit, you can, you know. And so for us, I love the ability that we have to be kind of that dual huh. threat. Like, you I know, if this. we want to throw, yeah. if we want to throw, we can throw. If you need us to run, we can run. And it keeps everybody, defense is always on their toes if, we, you know, we bootleg out because it's like, oh, shoot. You know, it's like, okay, is he going to hand it off when he's bootlegging out? Or is it going to be the fake handoff? Is he going to throw or is he going to run? So it makes those corners stay home a little bit. And so that's, uh, that's kind of like how I love describing Union Monk Kitchen. You know, it's like run and gun. Like we got to learn how to run and gun. 
shoot from the hips if we have to, yeah. you know, but there are times too where it's like, Hey man, I just need to do a seven step drop and just, you know, bomb it too. So, yeah. I love that so much. And just the metaphor thinking about the pocket collapsing around the quarterback, yep. which kind of mm-hmm. seems like restaurant life virtually every day, like just chaos mm-hmm. ensuing and you better be able to mm-hmm. audible and, uh, and figure yep. out and make things happen when it's, when you don't have this perfectly mm-hmm. set up pocket and things aren't going exactly the way you maybe drew up the play. Uh, absolutely. And, you know, kind of the audible thing where I just kind of talk to some of our team, I would just think that, hey, it's not like, oh, when do we need the audible? It's more like when we audible, this is what it should be. Like, huh. not, not like, oh, when do we need it? It's like, no, 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 we're going to need it. But when we do it, this yeah. is what it's going to look like. And so uh, I I think that if if you're more of a traditional, like, you know, brigade style, French style restaurant, like how you run yeah. restaurants like that, um, it, it takes a little bit to adapt to what we do. But if you're mo- like, that's what I tell all our chefs who, you know, who work within our restaurant. I'm like, we do a lot of offsite events, you know? Mm. So l- sometimes you can be freaking on a farm, yeah. no water, just a big fire where that's your element. And, and, and your water is a bunch of like gallon jugs, you know, that you filled up or whatever. And you're just out there under a 10 by 10 tent. Like that's when you truly find the ability to say, hey, how flexible am I? You know, I think that one of our things that helped us through the pandemic was that we were so used to being like, when people are like, oh, everything has to be fluid, everything. I'm like, dude, that's a Tuesday for us, you know? And so, yeah, I mean, those are the things, those are the things where it's like, you know, before the pandemic, I just felt like we were like the little kids who didn't have a real restaurant. But during the pandemic, we, I just felt like, oh, dude, like this is what we do. Uh-huh. We change all the time. We have to adapt to whatever the situation calls for. And, you know, and that's why, like, again, like I said, I like the running and gun. Running gun. And now, here, here's the thing is if you have a running gun quarterback, you, you better be really great at communicating with all your, all of the, the whole team. You know, if mm-hmm. we stick with the football, the football thing, I remember in high school, I played football with the quarterback, Matt was our quarterback, and he knew every position. He knew what everybody was doing. You know what I'm saying? So when he audible something, he knew that, oh, yeah, we're changing out of this. We're audible. The tackle's coming down and he's pulling the, you know, he's pulling down and he's trap blocking there. Yep. And then that, you know, and then he had all these signals he would send out to the receivers too. And it's like, that's, the, I call it the burden of leadership, right? You have to know everyone's position. You have to know what they're doing. You have to think two steps ahead of them. So some of my days, honestly, Jonathan, some of my days are coming into the kitchen and setting everything up for them. And I don't actually cook. I just set things up. And then I sit down and I go through emails and then going back to say, hey, I, you know, this delivery is coming in. I got this figured out here. Okay, who, who do I need to call there? Or like, hey, we have this vendor. They want to talk to you. Okay, I'll do that. You know, and so a lot of people goes, oh, yeah, like people think that my life is like chef's table. You know, it's like that beautiful slow-mo. I'm like, no, 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 dude. <laughs> Running gun. No, no, man. Like that's, <laughs> no, that's not, that's not it at all. Like I joke that I'm more of an administrator these days because if I'm doing my job well, then mm. all of our operators yep. are just killer at what they do. Hmm. This is a whole big topic in and of itself, but I think yep. this idea and reality, I should say, not idea, but this reality that if you are fortunate enough and work hard enough to create some success, mm-hmm. the thing where you maybe started the 
craft, the the hands-on mm-hmm. nature that maybe you were doing at a given point in time, mm-hmm. there's a high probability that you're going to end up needing to move out of that role. Yep. And that, man, that's something that I confess I, I don't always love. You know, some of the things like with our company, things that I was very involved in in the early days, I needed to pass that off to capable people. And it's as you say, then your job is to like, how do I support you? What do you need? And, um, but I don't know, there are times when, um, I, and I, I try to pick my spots to dive back into kind of the juice and the action and, and keep a, mm-hmm. you know, stay on top of sort of all of it in some ways. But, um, mm-hmm. hearing you talk about how maybe your role has changed a bit over time and, and is needed mm-hmm. to as you're supporting more and more people and, <laughs> Mm-hmm. You know, you're responsible for a lot of people's livelihoods and mm-hmm. it's pretty grown up stuff. Yeah. I, I also think too, it's like, it's easy when it's just me and like my cousin and a couple of volunteers, right? And you're just hopping from festival to breweries, grilling on these little, you know, and it's cool, right? Because it's like, yeah, we're so raw, man. Like we're so, you know what I'm saying? And it's all like, yeah, man, this is like, like, F the establishment, blah, blah, blah. You know, right? Like, you you got to have that like young person yeah. vigor, Raw. which yeah. is great. But there comes a point, and I don't want to say you grow up, but you mature. Hmm. Where it's saying, hey, do we want this to be something that we make like a couple hundred bucks a night? You know what I'm saying? Like being cool, like doing this. Or how do we build this? So, so for me, was this. We were like, I mean, we, I think we might have had like six or seven people working for us. And, you know, we had like a schedule and everything and people were working. And one of our, uh, one of our cooks was getting a loan from a bank for his house that he was buying. And he needed me as his quote unquote supervisor, whatever boss to sign off on this. Um, the, the bank called me, you know what I'm saying? The bank yeah. called me to make sure that, oh yeah, he's got a 40 hour week job, blah, blah, blah. And all that stuff. And I think that that was the, my aha come to Jesus moment where I'm like, oh shoot. Like, this isn't like a fun thing you play on the weekend. Right. Like, do you know what I'm saying? Where yes. I'm like, oh man, like, <laughs> yeah. like this dude, yeah. uh, his ability to cook, to get mm-hmm. this loan for his house he's yeah. buying. Like, I like become this little gatekeeper, you know? And it wasn't like, hey, bro, can you tell the people that, I, you know, it's like, no, 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 no. Like, he has to meet a certain amount of income to get this loan at a certain percentage. That was the maturing moment for me where I'm like, oh, dang. And then, and that, I, I tell people, that was a good burden to have. Mm-hmm. You know, I think about our people, you know, yep. and it's a really good burden to have. And and then you have to make business decisions. And 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 I, this is the part where I struggle with where it's like making business decisions for the business where it's like people are like, "Oh man, you used to be so cool. You just hang out with us." And it's like, "No, you have to have that sense of respect that, you know what I'm saying, that bridges you from the people that work with you." Uh to to be like, "No, no, no, we have to make a business decision here on how we were going to I mean, COVID taught us a lot of that, you know, I mean, even having this, you know, like I call it a family moment or, or a family meeting with our team and says, hey, some of you guys are going to be cut. You know, we're going to have to trim the fat, you know, so that we can float a little bit. But the moment we can bring people back, you're coming first. And to trim the fat too, we're going to help you, you know, go through this unemployment process. We're going to teach you guys how to do this. We're going to show you this. It's not like we're going to trim the fat and just throw it off. No, no, no. We're going we're gonna to trim the fat. Because we we're, we're 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 too heavy right now, and because of everything that's going on in the world, and then we're gonna help you. 
you know, and, and so that's the, uh, that's the thing that I've learned. Those are, those are big growing moments for me, I think, you know? Yeah. I'm going to ask you this. We're going to try to not spend too much time on this because I, I oh, bet yep. we could talk for a few hours about this. This also might be the end of our conversation because you might hang up on me, but um, oh. <laughs> this means you're a Vikings fan? No, 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 okay. I'm not. Okay, because I'm a Bears fan. Yeah. And I'm I a thought, Packers fan. Oh, we oh, we oh, all hang up on each other. Work. I'm actually yeah. going to the Bears Packers game in Soldier Field uh, second oh. half of September, so I'll, I'll be there. Yeah. Um, I could, I could so, see, I'd say I'd see if I could get you another ticket, but I'd be sitting there I mean, like in a bears Jersey. You'd be like in your, your green Bay stuff. Yeah. You know, I do know that Aaron Rodgers, even though he doesn't play for the Packers anymore, he still owns he part of the bears. You know yeah. what? You remember, you remember after he did, I was at that game, by the way, I was at oh, that yeah, game yeah. and I, I was like, it's true. And and there was like people trying to get outraged about it after the fact, yeah. and I was like, "You're yeah. getting mad at facts. You're you're mad. Yeah. You're upset at facts." I I thought I thought it was a great moment. I, well, I was like, "I think Jonathan, you're a very mature uh, Bears fan because like you're kind of like I'm just statistically looking at this." Yeah, and he does own it yeah, yeah, a yeah, little yeah. bit, yeah, you does. know, like like uh, you know. But I think one of my favorite Rogers. Um, a quote as he says like both our teams could be like zero and 15 or whatever but when we're but when you're playing like yeah. the bears and yeah. the packers are playing each other that's our super bowl yeah that's their super bowl yeah. he's like and and i don't think a lot of people get that you know so some other teams are like, what's a big deal i'm like no 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 no, no. Yeah. you don't understand you can lose to ever like the packers can lose to every team but if their two wins is against the bears you know then it's like we won. Like, I don't, I don't care, you know? And that, and, and it, and like the bears and the Packers, they just play each other different, bro. Yeah. Like they just do. <laughs> it's like, wait, what the crap? Mm -hmm. Like, how is he running this good? Or wait, yeah. how many passing yards he got? You know? I mean, like, like back in the day when you guys had Rex Grossman, it was just like, who, who's this kid? Uh, You're like the, the dude from Florida. Uh, like he's like destroying this. You know, there's a lot of that. And Jay Culler, and there are moments where Jay Culler is like, what? Yep. You know? Yep. He had his, a couple yeah. of moments, not not nearly as many as I initially hoped yeah. for. But, um, okay. Well, like I said, we won't do this forever because we could, we could, I get the sense, do this yeah. just the whole time. But are you okay with Rogers being gone? How are you holding up? Is that what you were you know, talking about in your, uh, in your session just a bit ago? <laughs> no, you know, with Rogers leaving, I think that it's it, it was it's time, mm -hmm. you know, to kind of that transition. You know, the joke's always like the Packers have this thing with their quarterbacks doing that, you know, I mean, with Brett Favre yeah. and everything. But I think at the end of the day, like I, I'm a I'm a Rogers fan, yeah, regardless. And I and, and you know, sometimes I'm not saying that I know exactly how Roger feels, but being in the position that I'm in and the things that we do. A lot of times I get misinterpreted, you know, people say things where it's like, well, I didn't say that. And mm -hmm. I didn't, that was never what I meant to say, but, but, you know, certain people, certain media outlets will say things and you're like, whoa, 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 like come back. Like, let's, let's have a conversation about yep. what I try to say there. Where especially even with like dishes that we make where people are like, oh yeah, this is like fusion food. Like, I hate that word. You uh -huh. know, I'm like, don't use the word fusion, you know? But again, I'm, again, like I said, I'm not, I'm not elite like him. But I, I get that, you know, I get that sometimes, you know, things are taken out of context. I was just going to say, I, my thing on this is one of the things I do, first of all, I think Rogers is just phenomenal. Like peak, yeah. if we're talking about greatest of all time, 
Rodgers mm-hmm. can do things at his peak that I don't think any quarterbacks do as well at their peak. Mm-hmm. So in terms of whole career, maybe not, but peak, anyway. Yeah. But I don't know. We, we are in such a culture of just outrage over every sentence, regardless of context and all the rest. Yep. And one of the things that I appreciate about Rodgers is I think he's at least thinking. I think he's at least thinking. Mm-hmm. And I've never felt the need to agree with 100% of sentences yep. or opinions of every person out there, or I'm scandalized and I'm throwing them in the trash. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I just, I don't know. Um, I, I don't know if I'm in the minority on that, but I, I'm like, he's thinking, I, I get the sense he's genuinely trying to work through stuff and figure out the world. And I can appreciate yeah. that. And And that's, not necessarily, we don't always get that out of high profile NFL players. And so I'm not ready yeah. to just trash this dude all the time. Well, I also think too, that it's like the idea of like, you're always in progress, right? Like, and, and I think that that's like one of the cool things I really enjoy about it. You know, who, you know, what really taught me about it is listening to the Pat McAfee show mm-hmm. when they do that Air yeah. Roger Tuesdays. And yeah. you listen to that, it's like, oh yeah, this is a dude who's trying to like, have an opinion about something and he's in process and he's also the dude who goes i don't mind being wrong like yeah. if i'm wrong he's like yeah i want to go find the answer this idea of being curious you know yeah. i always joke about you know like the, the ted, La- ted lasso thing where he says be curious you yeah. know and it's like everyone goes oh ted lasso said i'm like no walt women said that but it was in ted lasso said that in the <laughs> show but he quoted walt women but it's like the idea of being curious like that's what it is it's like hey and we can have conversation like i think I've done many shows, many podcasts where I'm like with the host. I'm like, I probably ideologically don't agree on them with a hundred percent, but dude, like, that's what it is. That's what having a conversation is yeah. like, you know, and, and, and that's, that's how I feel when it comes to what we do, uh, the kinds of food that we do, you know, our, our philosophy, our ideology, you know, like, I don't think that I a hundred percent agree with everything that goes on in our restaurant industry, but man, some of these people that I, i'm with or some of these you know these operators and these cooks that i get to cook with like they're incredible yeah. you know so before we really dive into some well some other stuff that you're up to but also kind of Hmong culture and cuisine let's mm-hmm. let's kind of transition from nfl talk into kind <laughs> of the macro uh state of the union on yeah. Food culture in the United States. And I think it's a mm-hmm. pretty decent place to begin. The mm-hmm. fact that a Hmong pop-up slash stall is opening up in an American football stadium <laughs> is fascinating. And I don't know if that is indicative of an increasing openness that you are seeing let's say in U.S. cuisine, but talk a little bit about mm-hmm. the, that macro landscape. Yeah, you know, um, the, the one thing that I've really learned and the one thing that's been a part of me growing is this idea that uh, food is a universal language we can use to speak to each other. That's it. I mean, like, dude, you go anywhere in the world, bro, and you, like, you have good food. Like, good food is good food. Like, you don't have to even understand the culture. Mm-hmm. Like, that's where it starts. Mm-hmm. And that's why I get it really excited talking about food. Because, like, that is something where it's like, I can bring something in front of you. And you're like, I don't know what, like, this looks weird. I don't know what it is. I'm not used to it. And you put it in your mouth. And if your taste bud explodes, you're like, holy crap, I've never had that before. That's amazing. And that's where the conversation starts. Yeah. Like, what is this? How did this came to be? How do you make this? All these questions. 
we get to open Union Monk Kitchen in, uh, you know, was, we're also in Target Field, but then we're, you know, which is baseball. And then we're also in, you know, the, um, the Viking Stadium. And we're not making any dishes that are like super out there. Yeah. We have what's called the Mika burger. So we're doing a burger. The word Mika in Hmong means American. So we're doing a double okay. cheeseburger. But instead of like, like we made our own, we jokingly call it our ranch sauce, where it's basically like a ranch sauce. But it's with like peppers and cilantro and lime juice and, you know, garlic, you know, and then we, we make, you know, and then we make that, that's our base to make the, the ranch sauce. And then we have these, uh, this toasted rice flour, which is uh, a really signature um, element in, in, in Hmong food, but we made us toasted rice flour salt. So that's what we salt all our burgers with. Hmm. So the toasted rice flour as gives it this like rich kind of, um, uh, you know, the taste and the best way to explain it, it's, it's like, you know, like brown butter when you've had brown butter before, mm -hmm. where it's just like, you know, it's like that deep flavor. That's what toasted rice flour is, you know? Mm -hmm. And so we have that on there and, and then, you know, make a double cheeseburger and with pickles, you know? And it's just like, and, and then people love it. I think most people love it because of the sauce, but you know, <laughs> but it's, it's, it's a double cheeseburger anyway. But, but growing up in America, like coming here when I was five and growing up in America to be American meant you ate burgers. And that's still part of yeah. our story. Like, yeah. you know, it's okay. And and then we have this Hmong sausage that we, uh, that we make delicious Hmong sausage that my father taught me. That was a recipe he had that was brought over from, you know, Laos where he, you, you know, they were, where the kids, they used to, when he was boys, they used to make it. We had this Hmong sausage that we turned it into a sausage and we call it a banh mi brat. So we put all the ingredients of a banh mi on top of the sausage, it's a, it's a, it's a broth basically, yeah. you know, but it has by me ingredients huh. and some, it's a pork mung sausage. Mm -hmm. and, the, and people always ask, well, what makes it mung? I'm like, well, what makes a German sausage German? You know, what makes an Italian sausage Italian? It's like, it's the ingredients that's in there. So it's lemongrass, ginger, garlic, shallots, you know, fish sauce, you know, that's inside that's mixed up, you know, and, and, and that's what it is. At the end of the day, people see it. They're like, oh, that's a broth. But it's like, yeah, but like the way that sausage is made and all these other things, and then the third thing we have is we call it our hot tots. It's our Minnesota Hmong hot dish. We're basically, it's a bunch of tater tots. We make this uh, red curry, uh, coconut curry sauce with chicken, and we just, you gravy it right on top. And come on, man. Like, who doesn't want a big old thing of, like, tater tots with, you know, like, like creamy, you know, like, you know, it has a little kick, but chick, you know, chicken curry on top. Dude, come on. But that chicken curry on a base level, that's part of one of this uh, kapong, which is this noodle soup we have, you know? And so like, yeah, we're, we're in there and, and our big sign says Union Monk Kitchen. And, and, you know, we had our first preseason game a couple of days, uh, on Saturday and in this moment, there's like 40,000 people walking through. Right. And, and there's this aha moment I had where I could, you know, I'm in the back cooking and I could see in the front and there was this group of young monk kids that were walking by mm. and they stopped and one of them point to our side. It's this huge size says Union Monk Kitchen. And I could hear his, I could see his lips saying, look, it says Hmong on there. So man, like, like there's this moment where it hit me for half a second. It mm. hits me where I'm like, yes, that's what we get to reflect that we belong. And, and honestly, dude, that's the whole thing of mm -hmm. what we've been doing with our company and with our restaurant is to show everyone that no, we, we, we belong here. And more than that is everyone belongs. And uh -huh. that as, as, as people, humans, we were, we were created for community and it's about that community. You know, this past year, uh, you know, when, when, the uh, the team from the Viking stadium approached us and said, Hey, we'd love to have you guys wow. here. 
Yeah. You know, like that's a hell of a moment. Shoot, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the same feeling we got when Target Field came to us and said, Hey, you know, this for this season of MLB, like we'd love to have you guys come here and we'll stall, you know. Man, and I've I've heard you enough on on the Munglish podcast of yours. Mm-hmm. Um talk about you know you hate the word fusion and i and you mm-hmm. are very <laughs> good at articulating why you do but mm-hmm. what you're talking about and the your description of the stadium food is kind of perfect it's like you're building these bridges you're giving you're mm-hmm. presenting an opening it's like mm-hmm. meet people at a football game kind of where yep. they are and that yep. just opens up a whole world that you're in inv- mm-hmm. it's an invitation to walk in yeah. And learn more about the culture and the, we're going to talk a little bit about this, uh, you know, sort of authentic, you know, or traditional, mm-hmm. more traditional cuisine. And mm-hmm. I think, man, we talked a bit about the virtue of curiosity, mm-hmm. but this is kind of an invitation to expanding your appreciation, our appreciation. So I think mm-hmm. curiosity and appreciation if we are curious mm-hmm. about more cultures and more histories mm-hmm. and can learn to appreciate them and not mm-hmm. make everything the same, but appreciate mm-hmm. and be stoked that it's not all the same. I mean, that's when you're kind of like doing the Lord's work, I feel like, you know? Yeah. And thanks. it seems like that's the road you're on. Yeah. You know, one of the things that we always talk about too is like, for example, like every culture has a sausage. Like, and that's so hmm. easy to think about. Hmm. Like, like, dude. Like ground meat together, seasoned together, and you know either stuffed into you know like stuffed up and then get to length, or even just like have the ground you know whatever meat or whatever together. Every culture has that. What we put in the sausage has, you know, kind of gives us a little story of what it's about or what who are we about, you know? And you know, for example, um, um, you know, my mom makes these, uh, um. My mom makes these uh, uh, these steam buns, you know, they're called kalapals, you know, like bows. Among people, we call them kalapal. And there's a steam bun. And, and people are like, oh, you know, when, when white people eat it, they're all like, oh, my God, it's so great. And I'm like, I'm like, but, but I'm like, guys, think about this. You guys have your own, too. Like here in the north, they call patsies, you know, mm-hmm. pasties, you know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. And I go explain. I'm like, it's a dough that you stuff and you either bake it, steam it, or fry it. And they're all like, what? I'm like. It's exactly the same thing, but the way we make it and why we make it. So like when you go to the iron range in Northern Minnesota, they would make these. Why? Because the, the miners, you know, when they go into the mines, they can wrap these in tinfoil and they put them on some of those motors or, 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 or you know, and, and, and it will keep them warm. You know, all the digging, all the machines in there, they keep it warm, you know, because the motors are working. And then for lunch, they just open them up and they eat it. This was a way of preserving a good, hearty lunch. The same way my mom makes these, you know, the steam buns. And my brother, when he was going to grad school in upstate New York, and he was just like, man, I'm just so busy. I have no time for breakfast. And my dad, my mom would make a hundred of them, freeze them, send them over to him. And he'd pull them out and he'd thaw them out and he'd pop them in the microwave. And that's what he would eat on a cold day when he's walking through campus. You know, to go to his class. So at the end of the day, like, it's a mom taking care of her baby. Mm-hmm. That's what it is. And the moment I say a mom taking care of baby, anybody who's a mom or people, people who are in that world or even the babies who have been taken care of by their mom, you get it. Right? Food is a universal language we use to speak to each other. 
we always say in our restaurant, we say that every dish has a narrative. And if you're quiet enough and you, and, and, and you're more, if you're humble enough and you follow that narrative long enough, you get to the people behind the food. And once you're there, it's actually not about food. It's about people. And that food is a catalyst into cultivating great relationships. And so at the end of the day, Hmong food, we can start with Hmong food, but at the end of the day, you talk about why I got into this and why I love all this stuff is it, it, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a father and a mother who made a decision a long time ago through a war that says our children, we're going to do everything we can so that they have opportunities and they sacrificed everything and they take care their All they want to do was take care of their babies. And that's what they did for us. And all I want to do in return, because I'm reciprocating what they first taught me is I want people to know who they are and the fortification of their legacy. And so all the dishes we do, all the food we do, it, it goes back to their table. It's that narrative, right? You want to know something about why we do this dish this way? Well, because I can tell you the story. I, I, I can talk about the food and it'll be great, <laughs> but actually it's the story. And if people start listening in on it and they go, wow, you're, you're Hmong, Hmong people. Who, who, who are that? Who are they? Or what, what, yeah. how does that work? We can talk about that too, you know, but it's so fun to be able to start with food. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, it's the Trojan horse. It's the inroads to yeah. this mm -hmm. whole culture and history. And I think mm -hmm. you then just gave us a nice segue there. Um, let's talk a bit about it. Um, man, it's an incredibly deep history. And so I feel like I'm asking you a difficult question here. I, I know it's one you talk about a lot, but for people listening who are like, well, this is interesting. And those guys talked about the NFL a lot, but what exactly, <laughs> or what are some, maybe a few things I should yeah. know about sort of Hmong culture? Yeah. Yeah. So and or Hmong history. <laughs> yeah. So I would say, this is what I start. I say that if you really wanted to chase our people back, it could be chased back to about 5,000 BCE, where in the foothills of the Yellow River, which is known now, now known as Southern China, our people can be chased back to there. So, you know, all that happened there. You know, uh, the northern, uh, the northern dynasties took over our people because they were afraid that the Hmong people were going to, at that time, they were afraid that the Hmong people were going to spread north. And take over that. So the all both the big northern dynasties got together and say, hey, if we if if we can defeat them and if we make them our slaves, we can control them and so they don't grow in expansion. You know, just world history, stuff like mm -hmm. that. Yeah. And then eventually a lot of the Hmong people migrated south. And so that's where you get and we're also known as the mountain people. So we live in the mountains. So, you know, uh, Thailand, Laos, and Vietnam in the mountains, that's where our people ended up. Uh in the late fifties, early sixties, the US and and let's just say U.S. and communism are fighting each other, right? And then China, the influence of China and Russia was coming through Southeast Asia, you know. And Laos was the uh, Laos is the lynchpin, uh, you know. It's like in the middle there, mm -hmm. you know. So everyone knows the Vietnam War. When we see the Vietnam War, you're actually talking about Southern Vietnam, but part of that Vietnam War, that conflict was known as the Secret War. So it is in Northern Laos. And so the U.S. government said, uh, "Hey, we need to protect our assets out there. We need to protect." Uh, that area because if, if 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 Laos falls to communism then all of Southeast Asia falls so that was the biggest scare right at that time so then they decided hey we need we can't technically declare war in Laos so we need paramilitary troops um, to, to, to do this so we have to raise an, uh, an indigenous army 
and the CIA, special forces, and the U.S. government came in and uh, found these people that lived in the mountains of Laos, and they were the Hmong people. And they're at that time, there were about three hundred thousand people that lived in the Hmong in the mountains of Laos, and and majority of them were just farmers. We were farmers. We we're agricultural people, farmers. And uh, this, uh, the CIA came in and the U.S. government came in and says, we're going to train you. So they hey, made this handshake deal. They said, hey, here's the deal. No matter what happens, win, lose, or draw. If you fight, help America fight and, and win, lose, or draw, you, your people can come to America. No matter what happens, we'll take care of you guys. Uh, 1975 came in. U.S. pulled out of Southeast Asia and uh, left our people behind. Northern Communist Party, the Patai Lao. The northern, uh, the, the Communist Party came through, genocide our people. Out of the 300,000 Hmong people that lived in the mountains of Laos at the time, about, about 55 to 60,000 of them were killed in this time. So there was the great escape. So all the Hmong people left the mountains and they came down to the valley and they crossed the Mekong River, tried to get over to Thailand because they heard that Thailand had refuge, uh, that they could find refuge in Thailand. Uh, Thailand was like, yeah, dude, we don't want you guys here because we're border, we're louds, they're our neighbors, but we don't want to seem like we're friendly to you guys because we got other stuff to deal with. So refugee camps were set up along the border there. My parents, my dad fought in the war at 12. He started, hmm. uh, he fought, he was one of those soldiers who fought, he was trained. And then when everything blew up, he had to escape. So he helped his, uh, his family, his village escape. My, my mom at that time, they didn't know each other. They all, they escaped too, went through some horrendous thing. My mother went through some war camps with her, with her family. A lot of people died, a lot of genocide, a lot of murder. And then they ended up at Vinai or Ban Vinai. That's the name of the refugee camp in Thailand. In 77, they met in 70, yeah, that, that spring or something. They met, they got married right away. And then I was born in 84 and then our family left in 88. Uh, and then, uh, and then after that, um, we ended up here in the U.S. We ended up in uh, St. Paul. And then we moved out east for a little bit. And then came back. And I grew up in Wisconsin. I did my middle school, high school years there. Did my college years there. Uh, and then moved up to the Twin Cities like 12 years ago. My mom's side of the family is all from up here. So I, I, I'm pretty familiar. And that's why I'm, I'm, that's why I'm a Packer fan. I'm a Badger fan. I'm a pa- Packer fan. I'm a Brewers fan. I'm a Bucks <laughs> fan. I'm a Wisconsin boy. I always tell people I'm a Wisconsin boy. I love my Culver's. Um, but, uh, but and yeah, but there seems to me that there is a thriving center of Hmong people, Hmong culture going on in Minnesota. Um, yep. And, and so I think the- somebody might look at you and your trajectory and think, because we haven't, if we hadn't talked about where you're based, I bet somebody would be like, oh, this guy's in New York or this guy's in LA. So talk a little bit about like the <laughs> yeah. scene uh, yeah. that you are yeah. a part of and helping blow up. Yeah. So in the Twin Cities area here in the metro, there's about 75,000 Hmong people here. And I'll, the reason why was the first refu- uh, refugee relocation, um, I would say nonprofit groups are from here in the Twin Cities. That's why the Twin Cities has the largest concentration of Hmong people um, that's in the United States. You know, that and then uh, Fresno area, too, mm. has a huge uh, population. Mm. Um, and then all through the Midwest, spread out, you know. So, when, w- so it, 1980, the Refugee Relocation Act was in place where basically uh, churches and nonprofit groups can sponsor Hmong families to come here. So, so 1975 was the first wave of Hmong uh, immig- uh, refugees that came here. 
you know, and they, they came here and they landed here and they were able to settle and they were able to start and programs started, you know, and, and all that stuff. Now, now you got to remember, this wasn't like, a, oh, our people came here because like we had nothing to do. No, this was a, a this was a handshake deal that yeah. was promised that was yeah. broken. And, and my father was here. What? It wasn't like, probably like maybe what, 20 years ago. He finally got his citizenship like 20 years ago. So he fought a war, came mm-hmm. here, lived here for a good 25 to 30, almost 30 years. Then that, you know, he had to go through this process to get his citizenship, you know? And it wasn't, it wasn't like, uh, oh yeah, remember when we fought for this country, not being a part of this country, you know, right. but you know, this is what I tell people, man. I'm like my grandfather who died in this, my, some of my uncles who died in this, and I saw this, and, and this is where, this is where I, I come in where I go, dude, do you know what the word Patriot means? Uh-huh. It means to me, like you earned it, you earned this, not because it's like I was born into it. Like my, my father earned this. You know, my uncles earned this. The families who sacrificed, they earned this. They fought for a country who said, hey, no matter what happens, we'll take care of you, but then backed out of that. And still today, my dad would never, none of my uncles, they don't say anything bad about America because my dad always said it was war. War changes people. War is awful. War is some, a place where nobody should be. My parents grew up in war, you know? And I always tell people that coming to America and be able to be set on the trajectory that I'm set on, it's different. Because here, I have the opportunity to dream, you know? I have the opportunity to, to set my trajectory. My father, my de- mom said that the day that they were getting ready, after they were getting ready to come on the plane to come here, my dad looked at my mom. At that time, they, uh, they only had uh, two of us boys, and, and my sister uh, wasn't born yet. And he said, he looked at us, and he looked at my mom, and he said, I, I am... I'm so happy. I'm so excited that we get to go to a country where my sons can be free to write their own destiny. Hmm. Because you don't understand when you're born in war, your, your destinies are written. Your story's written. This is it. And you talk to anybody from Ukraine. You talk to anybody from Syria. You talk to any of those family. And they'll tell you straight up, like, nah, man, this is, this is all you got. Make, make something of it, you know? But, like, when you realize that Someone has given up their life so that you can have life. It changes the way you talk to people. It changes the way you, you know, interact with people. And for me, it changed the way I cook. And so everything we do with our food, everything we do goes back to that story. You know, I love that scene in uh, Saving Private Ryan, you know, that, last, yeah. that, that, that scene where, where Captain Miller is dying and Ryan's holding him in his hands and arms and, and, and Captain Miller whispers to Ryan and says, earn this, hmm. earn this. And then you flash and it's, present day and 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 you know uh ryan is standing over captain miller's you know grave and he looks at his wife and what's the first thing as an old man who's a grandfather he says honey did i live a good life and he's remembering like there were lives that were lost so that he could have that life and and i am in a good way haunted by that Hmm. and that's why like i like that's why our drive was like it's not about having a little restaurant stall in, you know, U.S. Bank or, or, or right. the Minnesota State Fair. It's not about just that. It's about, like, the Hmong kids who walk by and say, oh, dang, like, mm-hmm. that, that name, that's our, I'm one of those people, you know? Or, like, why do, why in our menu, why do we use Hmong words, you know, to just, you know, for, for our menu? Because I want our parents and our parents' people to walk by and be able to read it. You know, say, oh, yeah, that means grilled meats. Yes, I get it. You know, 
uh, or like why is it important for me to constantly make sure that we talk about where we come from, especially our food, and how that's a part of who we are. You know, that if you want to know our people, you have to know our food because our cultural DNA is intricately woven into the foods that we eat. Because what I want to do is I want to get people curious. You know what I'm saying? To be like, well, what, what's that? Suni Lee wins the Olympic, right? She is the gold star, best gymnast in the world. I later on learned that the most Googled line right after Suni Lee wins the Olympic is, what is Hmong? That was the most Googled search question. What is Hmong? And that doesn't surprise me. And I think, I mean, hearing you talk about sort of your mission and your work and, and using food as this inroads, right? This bridge, uh, this invitation to appreciation that we kind of talked about. I mean, I think, mm-hmm. you know, it's a sad thing that does happen, I think, too frequently in America. And like you, I love this country. I love the opportunities mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. Um, that are afforded here, um, more so here than in other places, doesn't mean this country's perfect. But the fact that, as you well described, the, the sacrifices, the patriotism shown by Hmong people to fight in a war that wasn't for their own country, more Americans need to understand or associate, oh, so you're Hmong or this is this is a this is Hmong culture and this is Hmong history. Yeah, those were heroes. Not what I fear too often happens, which is a bit of a sense of entitlement of or like, what are you doing here? Yes. It's like why why are you important to me? Like why should I care about what you're doing? And 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 again, this is where I get I guess this is where I get a little like inside is just like, no, 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 like our people are fine in the mountains of Laos. Like that's what that's life for us. But the war came through, and this is what war does. Um, and but again, it's one of those things where it's like this is a great opportunity just to say like, hey, this is who we are. This is where we come from. You can't. The past is the past, right? You can't change that. But it's what we do now. Yeah, you know that matters. And so like that's that's my the thing that I've learned. It's like, know who you like, know where you come from to know where, who you are now to know where you're going. And that's mm-hmm. just, you know, that's this thing that we've been very blessed with and being able to have all the opportunities that we've had to be able to do the things that we've, we're doing, you know, through the restaurant, through some of the TV thing, opportunities that we've had through some of the sporting events that we've had, you know, it's just been really, really great. Hmm. Let's talk a little bit more about Hmong cuisine. And I think a good place to start would just be talk about a few of what you would identify as being the some key staples, fundamental yep. staples of, yep. of Hmong cuisine. Yeah. So we always say Hmong food consists of four elements. Mm-hmm. You have your rice, you have your protein, some kind of protein, you have vegetable and you have hot sauce. Out of those four elements, like all those elements make up what we call Hmong food or Hmong cuisine. Now to say that one is better than the other or one's more important than another, mm-hmm. it, it doesn't happen. It really? has to you don't unify. Think, I yep. thought you were going to say one. You know what I'm going to? What? Nope. I, what? Okay, not sticky oh, rice. Hot sauce. I was going to say sticky like, rice. Nope. Nope. Okay. I, because here's the deal: it's the balance. Monk food is about balance. I talked to my mom and said, "Mom, how do you describe monk food to people?" And he says, "Balance." 
Cause, cause if sticky rice is more important, I mean, sticky rice at the end of the day is like great and all that stuff, but it's like sticky rice by itself sucks. But that's why you need like the hot sauce. Oh, <clears> what? It's getting too spicy. Throw in, throw in the, the, the sticky rice yeah. or, you know, or any kind of, or the jasmine rice. Oh, wait, but like that's kind of bland. Oh, that's why you need the fattiness of the mung sausage or the fattiness of the pork. Why? Oh, that's, you know, cause the fattiness cuts through all that blandness and that flavor is incredible. But wait, this is way too rich. Oh, well, that's why we have mung mustard green or some kind of vegetables that we eat. And that vegetable, you know what it does? It helps like that, that bitterness from that, you know, that, that, that mustard green or that, you know, it kind of cuts through the richness of the fattiness. Every element plays a role into the perfect um, bite or the perfect taste or the perfect combination. And I, I think that what happens is we get too individualized. Like, you, you, what's the perfect mung dish? I'm like, I can't tell you that. Yeah. You know, you know what's really incredible about Hmong culture or, or the Hmong people? Our people are made of 18 clans or 18 tribes, 18 last names. Dad told me that most, like, be, you know, before the war, it was always which last name, which clan, the Moor, the Vangs, the Yangs, the Tangs, the, the, uh, the Kongs, which one is the true, it's always like trying to find out which, which clan was always the true direct lineage of the first Hmong empire and, you know, back in that, you know, 5000 BCE. And everyone would fight about it. Oh, it's this vet clan. It's this group. It's this group. And he said, that's it. What happened in the war was when the genocide happened, it didn't matter. Like, like, mm-hmm. like the communist soldiers didn't were like, hey, are you a Vang? Oh, you're clear. You're in the clear. It was just like, if you were Hmong, you got slaughtered. And dad also said that what happened was all the 18 leaders got together and says, we need to unite as one. Because if we don't come together as one, we have no future for our children. So we're going to put aside the last names we're going to put aside who you know all this kind of tribal you know clan names and then know that we're one people that is reflected in our food dude like to say that rice is better or this oh, i'd rather just eat mung sausage or i just have big old you know pork or whatever no but if we bring them together if we put if we eat these dishes together if we, we put them together and unify them like our taste experience is more grand. Hmm. That's what I love about Hmong food. And everybody always talks to me about, oh, but you know, they'll be, oh, it was this dish or this dish or this dish. And I'm like, yeah, but that dish doesn't mean jack if you don't have the rice that to, to mellow out that high umami flavor. That dish doesn't mean it doesn't really taste that great if we don't have the heat and and the um and the herbaceous tang from the hot sauce. It's a way, you know, and people give me a lot of crap for this because they're like, oh, like you're just, you know, whatever, trying to create this hippie spot. No, 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 no. All <laughs> those, all those dishes have is, is great on their own. Don't get me wrong. I'll fight you on that too. But <laughs> together we are so much stronger. You know, it is this thing my father taught me. I'm like, this is our people. So it makes sense that it's reflected in our food. It's, it, it makes sense that our food reflects our people. So on this crafted podcast, I always like to yeah. get into the weeds a bit, um, kind of mm-hmm. just go real granular on something or other. And mm-hmm. so you've done a nice job, of, and I like this description. I'm thinking about it kind of like the art of balance as mm-hmm. being a descriptor of, of mm-hmm. Hmong cuisine. But if you wanted to help us understand sort of a part yeah. of the art, what dish or what element of preparation might you riff on for a bit 
to say, you know, oh, here's here's some of the real artistry, the real craftsmanship that that goes in on a granular level. What what pops to mind when I ask you that? Yeah, I think the first thing is cooking over wood fire grill, you know, because a lot of that is like, you know, even in April, I was in Laos, I was up in some of the villages there and we're working, uh, doing this show with some of the uh, villagers out there. And literally, there's always a fire going. And it's either you're hanging meat, that's, you know, you're preserving it by, you know, curing it, preserving it, and then grilling it, or you're, uh, you have, you know, or the fire's going and you have a big pot over it. You know what I'm saying? And this isn't like a, like a click or a button that you just turn on the fire. It's like, no, you start the fire, right? And, 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 and you're, you're braising, you're boiling, you know, uh, stewing, you know, cause it's always like stewing and boiling and braising is actually a way of saying, how do we take something small, something that has very flavorful, that's small. And then how do we add liquid to it so we can expand it? That's very important. So that's like very old school Hmong. That's like, okay, we pull from that. That's, that's where we can trace back. Like, and even the way that you, they butcher and they're breaking down animals, you know, the, 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 you know, we really talk about craft and that's why I, I really like this show and what you guys talk mm-hmm. about. And listen to a couple of things is this idea of like, you, you can't really write about it. Like I can't put it into instructions, you know, like this mm-hmm. is what it's a feel, right? Mm-hmm. The way that the knife is in your hand and the way that, you know, like the blade, you can, you can hear it clicking on some of these joints and bones as you're breaking down the hog. Like I can't ex- describe that in like, in a quote unquote recipes. That's yeah. why I, I, we always say it, recipes are great guides. And we always say this too. It, it's not about a recipe. It's about a relationship. When I learned how to make rice, my mom didn't give me a recipe. She actually took my hands, put it into the rice cooker, stir it up, you know, like, oh, I had the bowl of rice. And she taught me how to wash the rice. And she says, this is what you're looking for. I want you to feel the grains in your fingers like this, because I want every single one of those grains to be touched by the rice, you know? And, 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 and I want everything. I want this whole thing that you're doing. I, I want, I, I want the water to equally be distributed, you know? All these different things. Again, that's craft. Mm-hmm. Because, like, the, the truth of the matter is, what is the recipe to making rice? Water, rice. Uh, you know, there's two, two things. Like, you know, you can't really mess that up. Mm. But the craft behind it, it, it has to be passed down. There has to be a relationship, you know? And, and so, so, again, learning how to grill over wood fire, my father taught me that. It was a relationship. Learning how to make some of these braids, some of these stews, learning how to make some of these soups. My mom taught me that. It was a relationship. Tasting it with her, tasting it with her. You know, there's a human component to it. And then we lose a lot of that in instructions. We lose a lot of that in recipes. And we lose a lot of that in kind of like, oh, let let me show you how to make it, you know, um, like through a screen. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm not knocking on people doing these things, but that's great. But it's like, it's more convenience, right? Mm-hmm. But it takes a while. And, 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 it, and for me, like even grilling, like, dude, I love grilling over wood fire. Not because it's all oh, the cool, sexy thing and blah, blah, blah. No, first off, I love grilling because this is something that my father taught me. This is something that, you know, you know, I'm, I'm able to, you know, to, to, to do. But the other thing too is this is very elemental for me. Mm-hmm. And passing down, yep. you know, in an era where technology is just speeding everything up. In some ways, we need to actually do less than ever before because we can just roll mm-hmm. to a grocery store or order something online. And I think mm-hmm. continuing, you know, to teach 
practices um, and traditions. Mm-hmm. That stuff. Um, yeah. yeah, let's let's not lose let's not lose sight of all yeah. of it. And and I, yeah. as you're talking about recipes, and I, thinking just a bit about like I'm thinking about just painting by numbers, and it's mm-hmm. like, yeah, you can make some pretty nice stuff actually if you just follow the rules perfectly yep. well. But that is not what got yeah. us to Picasso. It actually, it maybe that's yep. where he started, and he did. He knew the rules, mm-hmm. right? But eventually when we really hit that artistry as you're saying mm-hmm. the real craftsmanship the real artistry is beyond it mm-hmm. is beyond right yep. um yep. i gotta ask you at least a little bit about some of these past projects that you've been involved oh. with and and uh <laughs> yeah and some of the things that you have coming up and are are launching um pretty pretty yeah. soon here right talk just a little bit or, or talk as long as you want about iron chef Oh yeah, it's really fun opportunity. I think we filmed it like two and a half years ago, uh, but yeah, it was great. Uh, I got a call from a producer and says, "Hey, you know, Netflix bought the IP for Iron Chef. You're going to make it this kind of big international show. We'd love to uh, have you be on it." And it was like, "Okay, cool." And so it was like right away from the moment we got the phone call to the moment we were we were in LA filming. It was probably like uh, like maybe four weeks ish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, four, and so we were like rocking and rolling. We had one time to practice, go through everything, and then we were on a plane to LA. And it was fun, uh, you know, and learned a lot from it, you know. And it was uh, one of those great things. Yeah. Did that for you plant any new seeds or ideas about some different media stuff you might get involved with, or were you had that already? You already kind of had some of that figured out for yourself. <laughs> Yeah, you know, the media thing was not a thing, it's not a route, but I look at the media thing as another vessel, another canvas to talk about Hmong food and Hmong people. Yeah. That's what I, and I feel very blessed to be a part of it. Yeah. To be able to, to, to host the different shows that we've been able to host, to be able to keep hosting these shows, to be able to kind of expand more. Again, like really, really feeling blessed to be a part of it and learning. It's, it's, it's kind of like this whole thing with crafting. Like, it's like, oh, here's a new craft that I want to learn. And, and, it's, and it, it, to be completely honest, production, TV production, movie production, any kind of production, it's like a craft. You got to mm-hmm. learn it. You got to know how to do it, you know, and you got to know how to treat your body. You got to know. Like, I think everyone always just thinks like, oh, yeah, dude, like, you just go out there and stand in front of the camera, right? Oh, you have such a great personality. It's like, no, man, there's like, mm-hmm. there's like producers you work with, directors you work with. And it's like, for me, it's always talking to the director. It's like, okay, how do you, how do you envision this going? Or, or how do you want me to say this, you know? And. And doing your homework, you know, staying up with your with the beat sheets and knowing where the you know the storyline wants to be or how they want to do the storyline stuff like that, you know. So yeah, just learning how to do all that, and even just silliest thing as camera angles, you know, like like one of our crew guys that I've been working with for one of our other shows, like he's all he's our he's our number one camera, so he's always one on one with me. So I'm always like I'm like, hey Hans, like uh, is is this okay angle or hey Hans, do you want me to stand over here? And now we're to the point now where we can just go off and kind of like, okay, we need some hero shots. So I can just run, I can go off with him and do our hero shots real fast. So it's not like, you know, we're taking half the production. So you can split up the team into two and stuff like that. Knowing how to talk through that, you know, and asking the right questions, like that's all part of the craft, you know, area, you know, and, you, and yeah, I mean, and you enjoy it. You are, are you enjoying this video and podcast I, production stuff? I am enjoying it in the way of like, I don't know this and I'm curious. Yeah. About it. I want to be better. It, you know yeah that's what i'm enjoying i'm like i want to be better at it you know and 
at the end of the day, it's like, again, like I always come back to, the, I love this, the name of the show, Crafted. Like hmm. y- you, you want to be good at your craft, mm-hmm. right? You know, and good at communicating what you want to do. And so, so it's, that's, that, that, that's how I see it. Um, again, it's, again, all the other things that come along with it are just, I always say these are the little side dishes, you know, these are like the little condiments, you know, but at the end of the day, we get to tell our story, you know, and, and whatever venue, whatever platform that we get to, you know, stand upon. I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about immediate future stuff that mm-hmm. you have coming up, but then I'd also love to hear you talk about what you're kind of looking at. And I mean, for you, I feel like you're kind of living in dog years, you know, so a year <laughs> out from now is probably like 10 years out for the rest of us. But yeah, I mean, no. where, where does this go for you? Yeah. So I think the first and foremost is, you know, we have our, uh, our first brick and mortar standalone restaurant called Vini, which mm-hmm. is named after the refugee camp we came, I came out of. And it's a, it's a love letter to my mom and dad. So mm-hmm. we have that coming in. We're finishing up a few, you know, crossing I's, dotting T's, as I always say, <laughs> you know, uh, we, we got a few contracts that we got to finish up and then the build out, you know, hopefully we'll start here uh, in the next few months, you know, so we're still kind of working on that. Uh, and, and that's exciting. That's been kind of on a, on a three or four year pause after COVID and, you know, having to revamp a lot of things. Uh, and then, you know, uh, we just got done filming season three of Feral, which is our outdoor show, which is like super fun. We have season four that, uh, starting up in a few weeks here, uh, of Relish, which is the PBS show yeah. that, uh, you know, I, I get to do here. Um, you know, we have season four of Munglish coming up where, you know, that, you know, we're going to start recording. Um, and then, uh, I've been very blessed to be invited, you know, all different restaurants across the country to go do these, uh, chef collabs about once a month. You know, last week I just got back from Kansas city, did one there for a town company. That's the name of the restaurant. Incredible. Uh, and to be able to, you know, and then we got, I think Oklahoma city, uh, a place out there. We got one in New Orleans, Hmm. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, I got some really fun shows that we get to be a part of. Um, yeah, just basically it while doing this, I have an incredible, incredible management slash chef team here that, you know, that we can, you know, I always say we gotta be hip to hip. So I'm hip to hip with a lot of these, uh, a lot of our chefs and being able to talk through some of the things if I'm ever gone and things need to be figured out, you know, it's easy to communicate, you know, creating those communication lines and stuff like that. So, yeah, I mean, that's what it is. Like, uh, this week, just got to get through the state fair. Twelve days, you know. State fair, you got <laughs> those million people, yeah. million people to yeah. feed, man. I gotta let you get going. Yeah. Um, yeah. that's remarkable. Um, is I it from my vantage point, it feels like things are only speeding up for you. Is that true, or or did you hit peak velocity a bit ago? Like, how are you handling this? You know, I, I think that um, I, again, I feel very blessed to have the support team I have, you know, and so um, no matter what comes our way, we always say we got to stick together. Let's just stick together regardless, you know, um, and that's just kind of the philosophy. I think that I, that, that's my drive, but also too, it's just like, there's a, urgency inside of me that I feel like in my twenties, I'm 39. So I was like in my twenties, I wasted a lot of time and mm. maybe, I don't know if it's true or not, but I just mm. feel like I wasted time mm. of like trying to quote unquote find myself, whatever you want to call it. But I, I have this urgency inside of me 
But man, my, my greatest motivator is my mom and dad. Hmm. They're in their 70s. They're nonstop. Hmm. You know, they, they, they have a farm that's 10 acres and they harv- they grow and harvest all the, pro- all the produce and bring it to the restaurant. They're nonstop. You know, those, those steam buns, those bottles I told yeah. you about, my mom and, 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 and six other ladies, they literally created, they, they made 18,000 of those for the state fair. 18,000. If you line them all up, it's one mile. It's about one mile. Yeah, dude. No joke, man. Like nonstop, 70 some years old when, they, when she's supposed to be in some mm. condo down in Florida somewhere, whatever, enjoying yeah. her, the yeah. life that she's, you know, given to all of us and the, 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 the war that she went through mm. nonstop. My dad, same thing, nonstop, no quit in them. Mm. So like, what am I, what do I, yeah. I got no yeah. excuses, yeah. you know? And so like, I see them, they're my motivator and, and this is not some cheesy line I'm using, but it's like, they are, they're my motivator. You know, I mean, and my mom still like, she, she wakes up at five 30 every morning. With her group of, uh, uh, they, they have this international group of women's group across the, uh, among group across the world where they pray together. And, uh, you know, sometimes two in the morning, sometimes five in the morning, she wakes up and they get their little group together. She always says, yep, we pray for you guys, you know, praying for you, you know. And so it's like that to me, you can't unhear that. Like, how do you say no to that, bro? Like, you know what I'm yeah. saying? How do you, how do you want to say, oh, yeah, like, I'm tired. I'm going to take a me day. I'm like, nah, man. Nah, like I, I seriously watch the way that they work still today. And on top of it, if anyone, like, you know, any of my brothers and sisters, when they need their kids taken care of, my mom and dad goes, we got it. We'll take care of it. We'll watch the, we'll watch the babies, watch the kids. You guys go do your thing. Nonstop, dude. And I, yeah, man, like that to me, like that gives me my motivation. I'm like, dude, let's rock it. You know? Um, and it's awesome too. Cause it's awesome that our chefs get to see that. Cause a lot of the chefs, like, cause my mom is like barely five feet tall. You know, she's like 70 year old lady and like they, they, she runs our kitchen a little bit, you know, once they were there making all this stuff and everyone just stayed out of their way, you know, everybody. And, and even I talked to some of the chefs and all our chefs were like, dude, yeah, like they know mama Vang. They're like, yep, cool. Awesome. Like, well, and she'll be like, sometimes she can barely speak English. So sometimes it's the things are heavy. She's like, help, help. And like all the chefs were like, yep, we're going to go carry all those things for her. You know? And I love it. Hmm. You got me thinking about, <clears throat> do you know the Drake song, Nonstop? It, no. It's a song that I, I end up- <laughs> I'm going to listen to it. <laughs> you, it's like, you, you, I think you kind of need this. I think you need it on yeah. your playlist because, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's uh, it always, I end up every, during every workout, I'll yeah. end up listening to it once or twice, but it's a, just a good, everything you're kind of saying, yeah. it kind of goes beyond the workout, you know? It's like, let's, mm-hmm. let's, keep, yeah, yeah. A, let's keep a pretty intentional- uh, approach to yep. to our limited time on yep. this earth so mm-hmm. absolutely yeah um this has been a real pleasure uh really uh really cool to connect and um it's it's been too long since i've been to minnesota so i i need to i need to correct that and and now i really do actually think like i'm putting it on, i have you know keep like a bucket list type of thing i think yeah i think you and i should try to get to a bears packers game at some point so I don't know that you yeah. ever have time to actually go, you know, to a football <laughs> game, but I might, I might hit you up and we just, just see, maybe, maybe it happens, but, uh, I think it'd be uh, fun. For sure, man. For sure. I mean, we can still go there, eat broads, drink beer and still be friends, you know? Well, I'm feel- excited about, I'm excited. I'm excited about Jordan Love. I'm not gonna lie, man. I'm excited about Jordan Love. I'm also excited about Jordan Love because I, I yeah. actually think we might win this year. That's oh, why boy. I'm excited. Okay, we'll see. <laughs> So, maybe, maybe there's new own. Maybe there's going to be new ownership. You know, if you know what I mean. Right. <laughs> I hope so. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. Congrats to you and the team for for what you're doing. And I I I love um seeing passionate ambassadors like you uh that just help all of us better understand the richer histories, the richer cultures, all of these different things. And it's just it's it's expanding our worlds, I think, in the best possible way. And to bring it back to some things that we talked about, that expansion of appreciation is really how um, I see your work. Yes, there's the there's the food on the plate, but as you've said well, all that's doing is really opening all of us and inviting us to to better understand different worlds and cultures. And I think it's really really important work, and I think it's really cool what you do. So thank you. Thanks a lot, man. Appreciate it. I appreciate you having me uh, with you here. All right. Talk to you soon. Yep. Thanks, man. Well, that's it for this edition of Crafted. I want to say thanks so much to Yia for the conversation. Thanks to the strikingly handsome Justin Bob for producing this episode. And thanks to you for listening. And if you are enjoying these Crafted conversations, then it would mean a lot to us if you would take just 30 seconds to leave us a rating or review in Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, and that will just let us keep this whole thing going and growing. I love this podcast. I love the diverse conversations that we get to have over here. So if you feel the same, help us out and let's do this, folks. You know, because it takes teamwork to make the dream work. All right, that's it for today. Thanks, everybody, and we will talk to you again real soon.